Welcome to Bible study. I'm very happy to be with you again today and uh, happy to introduce to you our panel. And I'll start with Will. Uh, I haven't seen Will in the last period of time. Will, welcome to the program. Thank you. And um, I've got Helen here. Helen, you are now a kind of a permanent uh, member of this panel. <laughs> Thank you for I'm, coming. I think I'm part of the furniture, Nick. That's very good. It's good to be here. And Lydia. Welcome, Lydia. Thank you. It's good to be here. Len is our uh, facilitator, and I would like to welcome Len also. Thank you, Len, for uh, preparing this uh, Bible study. Just reminding our listeners that uh, we are talking about stewardship, motive of the heart. Well, hello, listeners. Glad to be with you today, and I hope this Bible study is going to be helpful for you. It's the last study we're having on the subject of stewardship. If you might remember that a stewardship is how we look after the interests of God in our lives and in the lives of other people. Now, to start with today, I want to introduce you to a text from the book of 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12, which says, Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And we're going to follow that up, and Will's going to read the next text, which is from First Peter 3, verse 15. Thank you, Will. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear. Now these two texts emphasize the thing that Christians should exert a powerful influence for good in the community and should be a positive witness for God. And although there are times when people say, are you Christians, you're this or that or the other, but the lifestyle that Christians live should testify of God that we love him because he loves us. Well, that's just a general introduction. And now we're going to look at five aspects of the results of stewardship, and they are godliness, contentedness, influence for good, trust, and words of peace. The first characteristic was godliness. Godliness is the evidence of true religion. Now, panel, how would you describe godliness in a true Christian? How does it show up? Yes? The word godliness, you know, and its practice really begins with God, doesn't it? We love because God first loved us. We trust because God, God first showed us that he was trustworthy. We share because God first shared with us. In other words, to be godly means that you are set apart. You know, but you, we can only do these things through God. Yes. To me, it's like um, living with an attitude of devotion and uh, with actions that are pleasing the Lord every day of my life. Yes. Well, Len, I used to have a friend who used to end every one of his prayers with the sentence, Lord, give me the disposition of Jesus. I think the disposition of Jesus, the way he acts acted um, is uh, an example of how we should act and respond and live from day to day. 
It's like becoming more like Christ, isn't it? Yes. Now, some of you may have seen, some of you may have, uh, a little bracelet or something like that with little sort of dice-shaped bits on it, and there are some letters on there, W-W-J-D, standing for, who can say it? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? In other words, living in such a way that we live like Christ himself would live. Now, Helen, would you read for us Second Timothy 3, 1 to 5? There's some pretty gruesome stuff here. And then I want to ask the question about godliness as compared to form of godliness. Okay, 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. That was a pretty gruesome sort of a list, eh? Yes. Yeah. But, I, but Len, really, if we look around, isn't that what some of the world looks like even today? Well, I think it's quite yeah. patently obvious. You just pick up any newspaper or look at the news on television and, um, yeah, it is pretty obvious that men have and women have turned away from God. And, and also, too, let's not just say them and us situation here. There are even those that are in the church that, you know, in the time of Christ, the Pharisees certainly had a form of godliness and denied the power. And we, too, can do that if we don't have that relationship with Christ. Okay. Now, talks, we, we talk about godliness. It's being Christ-like in our lives. And then Helen read that list, and the conclusion was that there are people who do those things who have a form of godliness. Now, what's the difference between godliness and a form of godliness? Any ideas? Well, I think sometimes we can tick off a little list and say, well, yes, I'm right with God. You know, I, I, I go to church, I read my Bible, I pay my tithe, I do all those things, do all those things. Did you hear the emphasis on that? Um, but I'm not spending that time with God. It's not prompted by God. It's not, it's not from the heart. And okay. that's what these lessons are about, isn't it? The yeah. motives from the heart. Yes, exactly. Hmm. Did you want to I say think something? living for God requires more than just um, a a mask of or that you wear uh, of being a Christian. It's something that just uh, permeates your entire being. You're just kind and loving by the grace of God. That's the difference between a form of godliness and true godliness. I sometimes see uh, where children are learning a musical instrument and they are doing what the music says, but they're just doing it. They're trying to learn and their heart isn't in it. Yet when you see a professional musician, they really put their heart and soul in it. And there is the difference. The notes might come out more or less the same, but the way and the attitude involved in producing those notes and producing that tune is much different. Ledger, you wanted to say something. You can see between something true and something fake. For example, 
things on earth that people are making, there is something real and some people trying to copy those, giving the same brand or name, but it's a fake. So it doesn't look exactly as the true one. So being a true Christian, you can see it in the character of the person if he's faking or he is true a person because you are, it's, it's showing your uh, devotion, your truthfulness in, in the way you speak, you act, uh, you do things, uh, and so on. Yes, I like that answer. It's, it really shows up, although sometimes on the surface it might be a bit hard to see. Now, I want to ask you a really tough question, and some of you listeners might be thinking about this. Does going to church reveal godliness or a form of godliness? A form of godliness. A form? A form, just a form. Because the the true reality of faithfulness in, in, and godliness is showing you in every day of your life and the relationship that you have with God also is showing because coming to church and listen to a sermon and praising God over there, uh, it's limited, but unlimitless is showing in your everyday life interaction with all the others around you and neighbors and friends and co-workers and everybody else. So you're actually saying that there will be people who attend church who will make a practice of um, going to church and might belong to a particular religious group that not all of them are genuine godly people? Is that right? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yes? Anybody else like to comment on that? Uh, we may fall into the category of uh, being uh, judgmental, but because Helen just uh, gave us a bit of uh, background about the pharisaistic attitude, and uh, those people were uh, people who go to the church, you know, they went to the temple every day, if you like, and uh, um, they were not um, categorized as uh, very uh, good people. I mean, uh, godly people. And that's why probably we need to come with a, with a recipe, let's say, from the Bible, give some examples about people who were godly people or have a form. Okay, well, the um, yes, Helen, before I go on. Sorry, I was just thinking, um, I meet lots of people in the community, and one thing that seems to come over quite a bit is people say, I don't like religion and um, I tend to say well I don't particularly like the word religion either because the Pharisees were very religious if you read through your scriptures and we can be very religious in other words have the form of godliness but we may not have his power within us yeah. and I think that was very true about the Pharisees but we've got to be very careful that it is Christ in us that we die daily to him so that that is what is coming through. And that's what the people must see. Yeah, it's a relationship with Christ. People see just a front. Yeah. And there's nothing behind the front. Well, of course, they won't like religion and they won't like the people who live that way. Mm. The thing, the difference between having a form of godliness and godliness is... Well, I put it this way, it's an attitude of mind. And Jesus actually spoke about this when he was questioned about which was the greatest commandment. And in uh, Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37, and I'll read this panel, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul 
and with all your mind. Now, could you love him any better than that? No. No. And so there's this love relationship between ourselves and God which will demonstrate the godliness that is within us. Question. Could you give me another word, another definition for the word godliness? Righteousness, right living. Yes, they're good. Pure living, I would say. Pure living. I like that one. That's good. Now, this, this is a Bible study, and we've read a few Bible texts. Can you think of some Bible characters who you would say were truly godly people? Job is one of them. Yes. So what did Job say? Although he had <coughs> underwent all those troubles in his life, though... Can you finish it? Though he slay me. Though he slay me. Can you finish it now? Yet will I serve him. Yet will I serve him. I thought it was yet will I trust him, but mm. never mind. Okay. They were uh, oh, that was one. There's can I just jump in here then? Yeah. The one thing that's always impressed me about Job that is that when you see he has all these different calamities one after the other and even just as they, he's been told about one the next one comes straight away there is no break so to speak and yet at the end of it we're told that Job worshipped God he went on his knees and he worshipped God and I thought that really showed the character of uh, he didn't just have a form of godliness he had the power yeah. because you would think through all those calamities he would have been saying oh woe is me or you know what is you know what is going on here but he didn't do that his first reaction was to get on his knees and worship god what a tremendous example for us yeah although he did ask some questions didn't he later on he did yeah but if, if you look at the the first part yes well what did you want to say i think that the greatest honor to ever have is a commendation from God himself where he says in Job chapter 2 verse 3 the Lord said to Satan have you considered my servant Job and listen to his uh, affirmation of Job here he says there is no one on earth like him he is blameless and upright a man who fears God and shuns evil and he still maintains his integrity though you incited me against him to ruin him without reason. What better commendation can you ever have? Be called righteous and nobody else like you on the earth. And it's God himself speaking. Yeah. Okay. Well, Job is one. Can you give me another character in the Bible who could be described as godly? Noah. Noah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And again, um, the words are that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Yes. You know, that was a, a great statement too. All right, mm. we won't stretch the imagination too far. Can you give I me mean, another one? I mean, there are lots of names like Joseph, Daniel, and Samuel. Yes. So they're good examples. These people are examples for us. Can we throw a woman or two in here? Well, why not? <laughs> I'm Can thinking we start of, with Helen? I'm thinking, I'm thinking of Hannah. Hannah, yes. Yeah, I mean, yeah. did she not um, show the same characteristics? Yes. And yes. Esther. Esther, yeah. yeah. Yes. What about De Deborah? Deborah, yes. yes. Okay, all right, well... I think we've evened it up now, Len, thanks. <laughs> That's good. So this, um, this question I haven't put to you before, panel, 
But is it possible to tell a person who is godly as compared to one who only has a form of godliness? Yes, yes because being godly, it means you ref reflect a sort of perfection in your sphere of living. You reflect like an aurora of pleasure and comfort when you live around those around you. Okay. So you're saying it shows. It shows. I believe you're right. Yes. I'd, I'd like to mention also that, because um, I was going to say we are dealing with the subject of stewardship. And many times, you know, when we are asked about our relationship with God, I will just say, I'm a Christian, you know. But to say I'm a steward of God, probably it's even better than that. Mm. Uh, because uh, a Christian in these days is just known or categorized as somebody who goes to church or uh, things like that. But and interesting enough, that is very hard to tell in between a, a form of godliness and uh, godliness until you have a contact with the person, you know, because from outside, it may make the impress impression that uh, a form of godliness, it's actually a person which is, you know, having God in his heart, which cannot be true many times, like in the case again of the Pharisees. But uh, I would like to stress out that uh, we may need to express our relationship with God every day with every person who we come in contact. Not just going to church, listen for a period of time there, close the doors of the church and go through the rest of the week. Because that's how sometimes church functions, if we look uh, in these days. And probably, yeah. I'm looking more into the um, what Lydia just mentioned a bit earlier to to really see the thing in a relationship. Okay. Well, I think it is obvious, maybe not immediately obvious, that who is godly and who has a form of godliness. Will, after what you've said, we're going to move on. I think at first encounter, it's very difficult to uh, to tell if a person is a Christian truly, deeply, or not. However, um, if you, as Nick has said, learn to know that person, uh, you soon see uh, whether he has the disposition of Jesus. I remember counseling with a lady that uh, was desperate because of um, um, the way her husband treated her at home. Um, I was stunned to realize that he was an official in the church. But uh, her answer to me was that uh, what, my f what my husband is like in front of people at church is a very different person to the person that he is at home. Uh, I think there should be the life at home and in society and at church should always be the same. There should be consistency. No, I agree. All right, well, we're going to move on to the next result of stewardship and close connection with God is contentedness. Now, this might seem rather strange, but I'm going to ask you, contented with what? Why should a Christian be contented? And contented in what fields? Contented with what? Anybody got an answer there? Contented with absolutely everything okay. in life. Yeah. So, even difficult things in life? Yes, difficult 
or um, uh, unexpected, bad things, unpleasant things. Yeah, mostly everything. Okay. Yes, Helen? It's not so much about our circumstances. It is really more about our attitude toward those circumstances. And I think Paul is one of the great examples of that with what he went through. And, there, and then he ended up by saying, you know, I am content. Yes. I am content. And so if we have God in our life, if we're not content, it is almost saying, I don't trust God in this circumstance. We may not say those words, but, you know, that's how our actions could come mm. across. Yeah. It's our attitude. I once read a, a book. It was um, a book of philosophy. It was called The Musings of Epictetus. Epictetus was a Roman philosopher who lived around about 1200 AD. And uh, although I didn't actually enjoy the book, it was about as boring as watching grass grow, there was one thing that did stick in my mind, and Epictetus said this, and I've sort of lived by this. He said, it's not what happens to you that counts. It's how you react to it. So we can have bad things happen to us, but if we react in a violent or um, an emotional way or whatever it is, that's where the problem lies. It's not the action, it's the reaction that's the problem. And I've often said to, to people that have been really uptight about something that's happened with another person, said what was counsel was given me. It's exactly what you're saying. It's not how people act towards us, it's how we react yes. that is important, and whether it be people or circumstances. Yes. Mm. And I think as far as what we're talking about here in the Bible, that same thing applies. Uh, Lydia, have you got Philippians 4.11 that you could read for us, please? Yes. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. So Paul is mentioning here about himself that he learned how to be content in every cir circumstance. Yes, he talks about the state that he's in. Now, that doesn't mean South Australia, Victoria, New South Wales. It means a situation in which I find myself. So, you know, we all have to live in this world and things happen to us. Just, uh, if you could, list some of the states that we as people can be in. Yes? I mean, it's very hard. We are talking here about being contentment. Being, being content, but it's it's hard because in our circum circumstances of our life, it's very hard to say and to accept in your heart. I mean, theoretically we know, but it's it's hard to accept in another way being content in a situation of uh, lacking uh, food or lacking clothes or lacking a roof uh, over your head, because we, there's you know there are many there are many Christians out there that are very poor. And uh, I can talk now from my experience in my life because many times I wasn't content with my situation, you know, being, uh, being, let's say, being sick, ill, and, you know, you're just not content with that or lacking something. And, um, yeah, there is a note here. It's saying contentment in every condition is a great art, a spiritual mystery. 
It is to be learned, and to be learned as a mystery. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Yeah. I'm learning from this. It's, it's sometimes difficult, isn't it? Yeah. When we have these things happen to us and we don't really know um, how to get out of a situation, and we take it to the Lord and we just have to kind of accept it and don't go to pieces over it. That's the important thing. And then also uh, the reason of doing this program is to encourage uh, also some of our listeners who may go through some uh, of the things which we mentioned already. And you ask about some of the you know, aspects in life uh, in which we are called to, to be content. Um, that could be like health problems, which will mention uh, poverty, employment, unemployment, uh, loneliness, single married, uh, arrest. That's another thing which uh, these days you experience a lot uh, and, and so on. You can be sad for various reasons, you know. You can have some health issues even uh, connected with that. But to be content, it's to believe in God that He is on your side. Uh, Will, would you mind reading this for us, please? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Yes. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Now, when you think about it, to be rich or to have God on your side, which would you prefer? For me, God on my side. Me Absolutely. too. Me too. Mm. Yes. All right. Because, you know, I mean, I, I don't have any money, but I believe I'm the richest woman in South Australia because yeah. I have so many amazing blessings. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Well, Helen, yes. would you read for us, please, Romans eight twenty eight? Love to. It says here, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. That's a very interesting text, Lynn. Very, very interesting. I remember saying to someone once we were having a discussion on that very text, Romans eight twenty eight. How do you say to a mother whose child's just come out of a car accident and is going to be a paraplegic for the rest of their life? You know, how do you say, well, all things work together for good? We do have examples in history. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tata is one that comes to my mind who became a paraplegic and and um, even to this day, but she's done a marvellous work for God. And she herself said she'd rather spend a lifetime in that chair with God than one minute out of it. Mm. But it doesn't mean that immediately we're going to see that all things are good because we could be in the middle of a, a really traumatic experience. However, I, I believe that promise does come, come true if we look back over our life and, and we are trusting God, we can see his leading through our life and we can see how he can bring good things out of our distress. And just to, to add to that, uh, Helen, I mean, if you are not trusting in God through all those situations, what good can come out of that? I mean, can you make any change? Can you uh, live differently? 
Of course not, but you'll even make it worse for yourself, for the people who had to face those things. That's why we don't know and we had to leave it to God, things which we don't understand in this life, why happened. But what we need to do to trust in God and say, God, I don't know why this happened, but you know, and I'll trust in you that you'll have an answer for this uh, at the right time. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, we're going to talk about trust shortly, but uh, I want to tell you a little story. Some of you may have read the story, or the book at least, The Hiding Place by Corrie ten Boom. Corrie ten Boom and her sister Betsy uh, hid lots of Jews during the Second World War and were responsible for their eventual freedom. Eventually the, um, the German, what they call them, SS, the German SS caught up with Corrie and Betsy and they were put in a prison camp, prison of war camp I should say, and in one of the, what would you call them, dormitories, it was riddled with fleas, absolutely riddled with fleas. And all the women in this barracks were bitten by fleas. Now, uh, Corrie, no, Betsy, it's a long time since I read the story. I think Betsy had smuggled a little Bible in and she would read the Bible to the other women prisoners in this barracks and she thought to herself many times God why are there so many fleas and she was wondering about this text in all things God works for good and then they realized one day that because of the fleas the wardens would never come into that particular barracks and so they were able to share uninterrupted from the Word of God seems rather weird and sometimes we can't see the end from the beginning but if we place our trust in God as Nick has just mentioned then we will find out how it works for good so we're going to have a little break now are we Nick yes we'll uh, we'll, we'll play a song and just uh, give a bit of time of the brief here but uh, please stay with us our listeners don't go anywhere we are um, going to come back after just a couple of minutes to look um, further into uh, trust and uh, how to be influenced, you know, uh, by God and uh, words of peace. Stay with us. This is Bible study.
Welcome back to our Bible study group time. Just if I could put a little promo in here. Um, if you'd like to join a group Bible study rather than just sitting and listening on the radio, then every Saturday morning at Adventist churches all over the country, you can join in with them and they have one, usually starting around about 9.30 on a Saturday morning, although it'll be worthwhile to check out the times because some churches do have different times. Here in Adelaide, there are a number of churches where you could attend, but if I could just point out three of them. Down in the south of Adelaide, there's a, ch- a larger church called Morfitt Vale on Pimpala Road, and they start at 9.30 in the morning. In the city, in the CBD on Angus Street, there is Adelaide City Church, and they also start at 9.30 in the morning. And perhaps towards the north in Paravista, they start at 10, but their Bible discussion starts around about half past 11. And you'd be welcome to join and sort of put some faces to the discussion. Very glad to see you as you come along. The third characteristic we're going to deal with today as the result of faithful stewardship is trust. Trust in whom or what? In the Lord. Yes. God. Yes. I remember when uh, Obama was a candidate for the American presidency, a lot of people voted for him because they trusted in him to fix up all the ills of society in the United States. Well, he probably did his best, but it didn't happen. And it's no good trusting in men to do those things, or women for that matter. Trust in God, and that's a characteristic of a faithful Christian. What does Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 have to say on the matter? I'm going to read that text, and it says... Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. You know, I know some people, they don't trust God. They don't trust him at all. That's why they don't commit their lives to him. But you all have. So why do you trust God? Yes? Yes? I was just going before uh, we going that way, Len, you mentioned, uh, you know, um, the United States and uh, uh, this nation, you know, for quite a number of years and probably was very reflected in their uh, life. That was that motto, in God we trust. But these days uh, we choose to in X or, you know, in this man I trust, or in this uh, society I live in, I trust, or in this age I live in, I trust. And we need to come back to trusting God, and He will sort out all other things, giving us wisdom to deal with the situations. Of course, what you said is printed on their money, and probably it really means in money we trust. Yes, Letty? <laughs> I wanted to say that we can we have to trust in God because God is the same yesterday today and tomorrow and God has um, everything in his hands he's the creator and he is the sustainer in everything and because of that I'm trusting God and I'm living in the trust every day without God there is no living for me okay good did you want to say yes, something yes your question was you know why do we trust in God yeah. personally why do we do it? I remember a time where I didn't trust God. I, I didn't trust his promises. I thought every promise at the end of it said, except Helen. 
you know, that it referred to everybody else except me because I hadn't learned who God was. I didn't know that he was love and Jesus came to show us that God is a God of love. And when I started to realize that and started to trust just a little bit, he never let me down. And right throughout the years, I've had friends let me down and I've no doubt let others down. But I found that God has not once ever let me down. Mm. He may, in answer to our prayers, he may never be too, too early or never too late. But he's there and he cares so much about us. I, I, I've got a journal at home of, of um, many, many times where God has come through. And it's just amazing when I look back and I, and I see how God has led in the past. And therefore, I don't fear for the future because I can trust him completely. Yeah. No, that's wonderful. Yeah. I think if we, uh, if we actually come to the realization that we serve an almighty God with boundless and uh, and infinite resources if we uh, have a god like that it should really ex- encourage us to trust in him um, of course there's often it's often easier said this trusting thing than done um, how often might we intellectually believe in god and in his love and his care for us and yet uh, we find ourselves practically worrying worrying ourselves sick over something that we are facing. Sometimes the future in real life can appear very scary, at least in our own imaginations and imaginings. I think that um, if we can learn to trust God in very difficult circumstances, it would be very good. But it's not easy. Okay. Well, now, here we are saying that it's a good thing to trust God. I want to ask you, panel, if any of you got an experience that you would like to share to encourage our listeners to place their trust in God. Well, I'll start off. One time I was a professional photographer, and one of the uh, jobs that I did was uh, graduation ceremonies in the Festival Theatre in Adelaide. And this was quite a torrid time and it also brought in quite a good amount of money. But the um, people in charge decided to change the day of having their graduation ceremonies from a weekday to Saturday morning. And that presented a big problem to me because I honoured God by going to church on Saturday morning. I prayed about it, I consulted a number of people about it. And I actually put an ad in a newspaper for another photographer to do my work. No commission, whatever they earned, they earned. And that would amount to about $5,000 for a morning's work. Well, I found a photographer. A number of other people who answered the ad rang me up and said, you're crazy. You're going to give everything to me if I do the job. I said, yeah, that's right. I don't want any commission. I want to honour God by keeping the Sabbath. So it happened, found this photographer, he did the job a couple of times, and then the um, authorities from the educational institution said, no, we've had enough of this, we're going back to the weekday. I trusted God, I kept the Sabbath, and it all worked out in the end. I've got other stories, but somebody else might like to share a story. I have many experiences with the Lord, but I'm going to share one in a very few words. 
I was young, I was 26 years of age, and I crossed a border between one country and another one to come to Australia. And I walk in trusting the Lord that I can fulfill this trip. I had a promise before that. I had a dream as a license from the Lord saying, okay, go for it, I will be with you. And I stepped crossing over the border in nighttime on a full moon that we could read the papers. And I associate now exactly as the people of God touched the Red Sea and with their feet and they just stepped into the sea, crossing the Red Sea in faith. So it was blindly faith, trusting in the Lord fully. So this it means in all our lives, it, through any circumstances that we go, we have to trust yes. that the Lord is there with me. It doesn't matter if I have to go through fire or through war or through sickness. The Lord is there with me. And yeah. if, he, if He is with me, I don't need anything else. And this trust also contributes to one's contentedness. Nick, you wanted to share something. Yeah, just the... Uh, along the line which you Len, uh, shared about uh, some principles you know after you you meet God and you want to serve him with your best and I, um, I remember some years ago when um, I, I was young and I was uh, I have all the promises of the world in front of me I was involved in the show business but I decided to give up that thing and I went in the army for a year and a half and during that time, I decided that I want to know God and follow God. When I came back from the army, I went back to the to my work, which I used to do. But um, for a year and a half or something like that, I was working, but I had that call from God that I need to put things right with Him in all aspects of my life. And one of them was to honor Him and to worship Him in the day he called us to do it. And that was about the Sabbath, which you just mentioned Lynn, in your story. And I remember that uh, one Friday I went to my uh, uh, boss and uh, I said, look, I can't come tomorrow for work. Because during communist time we used to work on Sabbaths, you know, on Saturdays and also even on Sundays sometime. And he said to me, frankly, if you don't come tomorrow, you better don't come on Monday either at that time. And I said, okay. Now, in the meantime, I, I took a decision and I, I knew that I wouldn't come back to work on uh, Saturday. And he went back to the, you know, to the director of that company and uh, was a big talk around and tried to convince me not to do it. But I did it. And as I left the workplace with a friend of mine who invited me to go with him for church the next day, we stopped to a petrol station as we went out of the city. And I knew that I'm out of work now and a uh, few concerns, but not many. I just trusted in God. And as we were waiting, I was waiting in the car at the petrol station as he f uh, was filling up the tank. And he was talking with a gentleman just next to the petrol station there, to the pump. And when he came back uh, to me, he said, I'd like to introduce you to this uh, gentleman. I said, okay. And he was just explaining to that uh, man that I lost my job and he was working in the similar field and he offered me a job on the same day. Yeah. 
And uh, since then, I never ever have a problem with working on Sabbath, even though I was called back in the army during communist time and I, we were kind of forced to, to do things on Sabbath. We were determined not to do it and God always had an answer for yes. all those things. Yeah. Helen, I think you wanted to read something from a quote that you have there. It's a very short quote. It just says, How then do we as stewards learn to trust in God? By stepping out in faith and obeying the Lord in all that we do now. Very quickly, can I add to that? I don't want to take up too much time. We've heard some wonderful testimonies and we've all got stores of them. Just um, like to share with that one, stepping out in faith. My dear Delcy, she is 99 years old now and she moved into a nursing home. Um, many years ago but before she moved we she wasn't sure she was doing the right thing but we prayed about it and the end then we knew we had to sell the house put her into the nursing home got her settled the next day was her birthday took her out for her birthday and when we were in this restaurant I went up to order the food and somebody said you look tired and we'd been praying God you need to sell this house the one across the road had been up for sale for 18 months mm-hmm. we needed to do it quickly and um, I, they said I said I'm tired just moved Elsie into nursing home and then I said does anybody want to buy a house <laughs> like that and they all said no 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 but one lady had overheard in this restaurant. She'd overheard me. And she came up to me and she said, do you have a house for sale? I said, yes, we do. I said, are you looking for one? She said, my son and his daughter are getting married. And uh, I said, okay, where are you looking for one? It happened to be in the same suburb that we had a house for sale. And then she said, oh, I need to have a big garage. And we did happen to have a huge garage with three-phase electricity. It had to have a lock-up yard, and we had a lock-up yard. And it just so happened her husband walked in right at that moment into the restaurant. He wasn't expected. And she said, what are you doing here? He said, I was going past. I thought I'd stop in. And she said, here's an address. Go and have a look at the house. He went to have a look at the house. I took Delcy back to the nursing home. When I got home, there was a message already on my phone. Like what we see, may we see inside. That house was sold that day. There was no signs up the front. There was no real estate agent. God was the best real estate agent of all. And Delcy knew without a shadow of a doubt she had made the right move by trusting in God, but my moving into the nursing home. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. Sometimes things do not always work out so marvellously as that. But the point is, if we put our trust in the Lord, he will come through. All right, we've got to move on. Now, one of the other results of Christian stewardship is that we become an influence for good. Uh, Will, would you like to read Matthew 5, verses 13, 14, and 16? Yes, it's, Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under the people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Yeah, so what's it mean that as Christians we should be salt and or light? Certainly an influence. Uh, we, we've got to make a difference wherever we go. In we have to give taste, like the salt gives yes. tastes. You, you, when you make food and you don't put salt on it, the, the, f- the food is saltless. So we have to give 
taste to the people. We have to have a resonance in their lives when we interact with them. It doesn't matter when. We have to give plant a little bit of seed and of hope in themselves, in their hearts, after they realize that they met us. I'm thinking very much about being a light. I was working in adult um, teaching many years ago. We had a colleague of mine. She was a beautiful Catholic lady. Everybody knew she was a Catholic. Everybody knew that she went to Mass every day. Everybody knew she was in the choir. And everybody knew she was actually studying for the priesthood. And I went home one day and I thought, they know I'm a Christian father, but how many people know about what I do and what church I go to? And I was ashamed of myself because I had perfect timing, perfect opportunities many times to share with people. And one was that having gone to Papua New Guinea, people would say, what were you doing in Papua New Guinea? And I would say my husband was an aircraft engineer and we went up with this particular airline and then I'd stop. And I said to the Lord this particular night, I said, I am going to tell them about you, the next opportunity I have. Well, God is really good. Within 24 hours, he opened the door and somebody happened to say, oh, that my friend was in Papua New Guinea. And she introduced the friend. She said, and the friend said, and what were you doing in Papua New Guinea? So I immediately said, oh, my husband was a, an aircraft engineer and we went up and I didn't stop. I said, however, after a few years, the Lord called us to be missionaries for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Well, it was really interesting because only one person left the room, all the staff stayed, and they started asking lots of questions. The other interesting thing was that when everybody finally went, there was one colleague left, not this beautiful lady that I was talking about before. It was another colleague who we'd had a little bit of a rift, and she said to me, she said, I so appreciated what you've done and what you've shared. She said, will you pray for me? And I said, I'd be happy to. And I went to pack up my bag. She said, I mean here and now. Mm. And we knelt in the staff room yep. and we had prayer. Yep. And, and I remember that text, you know, I'd been hiding my light under a bushel. And praise God that he gave me the opportunity and you to were shine. And influence. Yeah. And I was just going to touch on that word, uh, Len, uh, about the influence. For what good is to be a Christian if you don't have an influence yes. on other people. Yes. You know, I mean, that's very important. And I must uh, admit that sometime, even uh, look at myself, but looking generally in, in a Christendom, that we thinking, oh, we better be quiet, you know, not to be exposed, not to do things, even if it's, there are some issues like social issues, you know, and recently we have here in Australia, which I wouldn't go necessarily on that subject, but we have a quite big issue in which the Christians were not very vocal, if you like, and, and to have a big influence. And I thought, well, if you believe in these things, you should be also have an influence in that regard. Lynn, can I just add to what Nick's been saying? He said about being a good influence. We are all an influence, aren't we? And some yes. for good and some for bad. But there's a great text in Scripture, and it's taken from Titus 2. It's a small book just after Timothy. Titus 2 verse 7 says, And you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Okay. So... In what areas should Christians be a good influence? Can you name some? Well, should we not be a good influence in all our areas? Yeah, in okay. everything. I mean, specific. Okay, in the way that we speak to other yes. people. Yeah, you know, how we treat other people. Exemplary living in the workplace, exemplary living in the home, 
we cannot be despondent or in a cloud all the time, cannot uh, immerse ourselves in darkness. We must let our light shine, that, that we are happy and uh, joyful people to have around. Yes, we should be cheerful and we should be patient and we should be kind. And All right, Lydia, would you like to read for us, please, from the book of Galatians, chapter 5 and verse 22, some of these areas where we should have good influence as listed in the Bible. Yes, but the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, Christians should be good people to be around. Yes. yes. All right, time is running, and we have one more section to go. And this is about words of peace. Now, this is sort of a double whammy type um, thing. First of all, of our words, our speech, what should they be like? And Jesus said something about this in Matthew 5, verse 37. He said, simply let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Well, that just doesn't mean not swearing. It means when you say yes, you mean yes. You keep your word. Keep your word. And when you say no, same thing, you keep your word. And so that's important. I mean, I've been in business, and do I like dealing, or did I like dealing with people who did not keep their word? No. I might have had a deal with them once, but never again. And when we're in business, well, in anything really, we should be known as people who keep our word, as well as not swearing. And I wanted to point out some of the swear words that are not quite swear words, but they still are. Ever heard somebody use the word cripes or crikey? Well, that's taking the name of um, Jesus in vain. People seem to be more blatant these days and they get annoyed or something and they'll come out with Jesus Christ. Oh, I find that so terrible. And then common words, a G and G's, and there's a whole string of them taking the name of God in vain. Uh, what does the Bible say about taking the name of God in vain, Helen? It mentions in Exodus 20, 20, uh, yes, 20, verse 7, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. No. That's pretty serious. Yeah, it is. Mm. And it's so common in this day and age. Yes, Ledger? I've been in quite few circumstances, like in a shopping center, in an office, on the streets, in the bus, wherever, and I heard people constantly saying, oh my God, oh, yes. and many times repeatedly, and I just couldn't stand. I just, I felt like the Holy Spirit prompting me, just say something to this person. And I went kindly and talked to the person and I said, would you please don't mention this phrase anymore? Why? And I explained that it means you take God's name in vain. God's name is a holy name. So many times the person looked at me in awe and, you know, it's like I opened the, the, the heavens to them. And um, many times I mentioned to children, you know, because I heard them saying this. Mm. And I think... This is the difference that we have to make in, in, in the world. Okay, well now, 
As I said before, this is a double whammy type section. What words does a faithful Christian not want to hear? In Matthew 7, 21-23, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Uh, what a terrible thing. And, and I expect these are the people who have a form of godliness. Yeah. Yes. Mm. And what sort of words do you think the Christian would want to hear? Will, well, would you I'd like to tell us that? I think of the words in Matthew 25, verse 20, Matthew 25, verse 21. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Although the words that I want to hear, absolutely, oh, absolutely. I do too. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Well, we've come to the end because time is against us. Thank you for joining us today. And next week we're going to begin a study of the great controversy. Yes, thank you very much uh, again, uh, all panel here, and thank you for your time and your sharing. Uh, today, as Len just mentioned, uh, this was the last study in this section of stewardship. From next week, we are going to look into an amazing subject, preparation for the end time. And if I will uh, just mention to you just a couple of um, topics uh, which will address, like the um, cosmic uh, controversy or Christ in sanctuary, which uh, may be a difficult subject for some of you, but we are going to open the Bible to see what the Bible has to say about that. Changing the law, for example, or uh, about Matthew 24 and 25. Why not also looking into some details about uh, America and Babylon uh, and so on. There are great subjects. And please come back to us next week and we'll be able to share with you amazing things. Now, just before we leave today, I would like to encourage our listeners to contact us. Ring us through the phone numbers or contact us through the station uh, and uh, share your impressions, your opinions in regard to this kind of uh, subjects and the discussions we have. And uh, we'll be very happy to consider all your uh, comments. Thank you very much for being with us today. Until next time, God bless you. And don't forget, be a good steward of God.